Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Today, I want to talk about a very important man in my life. No, it's not my husband, and no, it's actually not Jesus. It's St. Ignatius of Antioch. My name is Rochelle Lucero, and I am the host of the Clumsy Theosis podcast. Now, I met St. Ignatius of Antioch shortly after returning to the faith, and this must have been maybe 10 years ago, and he helped me so much. He was the Bishop of Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey, and this was in 70 AD to 107 AD. And he was martyred during the Trajan persecution in the Roman Colosseum by being fed to wild beasts for his faith. Now, if you've ever seen an icon of a saint being eaten by a lion, it's probably him. Now, while he was being transported to Rome to be executed, he wrote seven letters to six churches and one to another bishop. And they answered so many questions that I had, and they were just instrumental in helping me to trust the authority of the church, of like the hierarchy and of the papacy, as well as so many other things. And every time I return to these letters, they still continue to inspire me. And so I'm going to try to convince you to read these letters by giving you some highlights about them and really to honor St. Ignatius of Antioch whose feast day is this Saturday, which is what, October 16th? No, 17th, October 17th. But before I do that, I have some people that I have to thank. Janet and Jennifer are the most recent donors to support Clumsy Theosis. And that is huge because this show is 100% listener supported. So a big fat thank you to them. And I invite you to become a supporter of Clumsy Theosis especially if you have experienced any benefit in your life because of this show. All you have to do is visit clumsytheosis.net and then click the word donate in the menu or there is a handy dandy little link for you in the show notes and the show notes are where you would go if you wanted to read the description of this episode. But back to St. Ignatius of Antioch. He is my dude for so many reasons. And I think that Mike Aquilina, he is an author of so many good books about the church fathers. I think that he summed up the letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch perfectly when he said that his epistles are compact and to the point, pastoral in manner, doctrinal in content, and encouraging in tone. And you know me, these are all things that I love when it comes to most anything, especially when it has to do with the faith. And he has them all, right? He's compact to the point, pastoral. He's about the doctrines, you know, or the factual teaching. And he's encouraging. What else do we need to know about this guy? All right, so St. Ignatius, he was the bishop of Antioch, like I said, from 70 AD to 107 AD. And I'm repeating it because that is a big deal for many reasons. Okay, well, Jesus, remember when he ascended into heaven and the apostles went out on their way to make disciples of all nations, right? They scattered and founded Christian communities. Now, St. Peter, he went ahead and founded the church community in Antioch, and then he went on to Rome. So, he was the first bishop of Antioch, and then St. Ignatius became the third bishop of Antioch. Think about that for a second. That means St. Ignatius was a disciple of St. Peter, 
And also we know from our church tradition that he was a disciple of St. John. And I don't know if you realize how big of a deal that is, St. Ignatius learned about the faith at the knee of the man that Jesus put in charge of the church, as well as the man known as the beloved apostle. St. Ignatius of Antioch is an important link. He's a very important link between the apostles and the church fathers. And his martyrdom was beautiful. He was given a vision, or it could have even been a dream, I can't remember which, but he saw that he would be martyred in Rome and he wanted to fulfill this vision that he had. He had such a love for Jesus that he desired unity with him, even to the point of death, which he saw to be his martyrdom, right? He saw his martyrdom to be a way to have unity with Jesus Christ. And he even wrote about this to his friends in Rome. Now, this is a great letter to start with because you get to see Ignatius's character straight away. You get to see his love for Christ and his desire, his crazy desire to imitate Christ even to his death. In his letter to the church in Rome, he wrote this. He said, allow me to become food for the wild beasts, which are the means for my making my way to God. I'm the weed of God and let me be ground by the teeth of the wild beasts that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. You see here, there's like Eucharistic language. He's talking about wheat and bread. You know, these allusions to the Eucharist, these are very common in the writings of St. Ignatius of Antioch. They just kind of come up out of nowhere. It's like, it, it's so ingrained in his way of thinking. His life is centered on Christ and it just comes out in so many different ways throughout all of his writings. All of these references and, and the way that his life is just shaped around the Eucharist and Christ, it really helped me at that time, um, especially because I was also struggling to figure out if I really did believe in the true presence. Like I wanted to believe it, but it was like, how do I get my mind around it? And St. Ignatius definitely did help with that process. Also in this first letter, I remember being struck by the peace that he seemed to write with obviously like the, his desire for unity. Um, he would just seem so full of love and very, very sincere. And all of that jumped off the page in this first letter that introduced me to St. Ignatius. And I wanted all of it. Like I was like, I want to be that way. And all of this made me respect St. Ignatius so much as a person, as a follower of Jesus, and as a leader of the church. And it's funny because he respected the Church of Rome. And in the very beginning of this letter to the church in Rome, you can see how much he respects the Church of Rome and he's like giving the church in Rome high praise. Uh, he says, you are worthy of God, worthy of honor, worthy of the highest happiness, worthy of praise, worthy of obtaining her every desire, worthy of being deemed holy. And then he continues by saying, you who are filled inseparably with the grace of God and you who are purified from every foreign stain, I wish abundance of happiness in Jesus Christ our God. Reading all of this praise for the Church of Rome, I realized I respected the leadership of a man who respected and honored the leadership of the Church of Rome, which that would translate today as in the papacy, as in the Pope, you know? Now, at that time when I had returned to the faith, I knew that I had been called to the Catholic Church, but I was struggling to trust the teaching authority of the church because everything that I had been taught, and I went to public school for my whole life, Catholics would categorize that as like liberal. But to me, that was just normal. And it seemed like the church herself was ultra conservative because they seemed like 
they were saying something totally different from the rest of the world. You know, I wasn't participating in anything that I was not supposed to be participating in, but at the same time, I didn't know that I was on board fully. You know what I mean? But God, in his infinite mercy, he knew my woundedness in these areas. He knew what I needed. And so he gave me St. Ignatius of Antioch. And St. Ignatius, obviously, he believed so firmly that the church is a holy entity made by God, and it's not a man-made establishment. And this started to influence me. But I still didn't know about those men and their offices in the church. You know, I wondered who gave them authority. And then you know what St. Ignatius wrote in the next letter that I read? It was the letter to the Magnesians, and I'm not kidding you. In his next letter, he speaks about the threefold hierarchy of the church, which is the bishop, the presbyters, which we would now call priests, and the deacons. And he does it in a way that made me think, oh, maybe this isn't a man-made earthly establishment and these men actually do have authority from God, right? He says in his letter, he says, I exhort you to do all things with a divine harmony. The bishop is to preside in the place of God, while the presbyters are to function as the council of the apostles and the deacons are entrusted with the ministry of Jesus Christ. So I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, this is only 70 years after the start of Christianity. And this structure, this hierarchy already seems to be well-established, well-known, and it seems to be kind of universal among all of the church communities because he talks about this in all of his letters. He makes references to this. And it's, it's obvious to me that there is a supernatural understanding here. And um, it's like the people who are going to be reading these letters, they understand that already as well. So it's like the hierarchy of the church was intended to be imitators of Christ, the apostles and the disciples. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. This isn't just something that men put together and decided they would just kind of go with this structure. This really and truly was, I can see that in history, it was established by God and from the beginning by Jesus and everyone just stuck with what he established, right? This ancient belief and understanding, it helped me to believe that God actually did give them their authority. Now, do all of them use their authority correctly? No, people are fallible. But Ignatius of Antioch, he did use his authority correctly. And you know he did that because he strove for unity with Christ. And him doing that gave me so much hope for the hierarchy of the church and more faith in the hierarchy. His understanding of leadership positions in the church, they were always those of service and love. And I could totally get behind that. In fact, I loved the way that he spoke about servant leadership in the church, but I still did not understand why it seemed like priests and bishops today seemed to be taking it upon themselves to kind of speak for God, you know, to interpret what God had said. I thought, you know, if God said it, then that's all we need. We don't need to interpret things. Okay, well, like I said in our last episode, when it comes to divine revelation, the church has been given the authority and the safeguard to take what the Lord has given us through his divine revelation and make it applicable to our lives today, right? So there are things today that need to be spelled out for us that maybe didn't need to be spelled out before. But at that time, I read the letter to the Trillians, and that's kind of what I discovered. So in that letter, St. Ignatius, he's warning the community about the docetist heresy, which basically claimed that Jesus didn't have a real human body and therefore he didn't really die on the cross. St. Ignatius is taking it upon himself to 
spell out things that needed to be spelled out based off of divine revelation in order to keep people away from error. So he says to them, he says, so then be on your guard against such people and this you will do if you are not puffed up and also if you cling inseparably to Jesus Christ our God, to the bishop and to the precepts of the apostles, right? So basically stick to what your bishop is teaching you, right? Because They're going to take divine revelation and they're going to make it applicable to what you're dealing with today. And today you're dealing with a heresy, so listen to your bishop, okay? Now, I can't make this stuff up. The Lord, he was just providing everything that I needed in the correct order in which I needed it in order to, you know, get my mind around things. And it's funny because the next, the fourth letter that I read It was as though the Lord was really trying to like drive home all of these points because the fourth letter is to to the Ephesian church and it's basically a recap of those other three letters. And um, I've just been quoting the pieces that struck me at that time that helped me to lower my guard and to trust the church and her hierarchy and to trust her interpretation of what God has revealed to us. But there's so much more in these letters and like Even though they are relatively short letters, they pack a punch. And the letter to the Ephesians, like I said, it's a nice summary of everything that I had read up until that point. There's um, a whole bunch in this letter about unity in all areas of the church, um, the value of uniting in prayer. He talks about the incarnation of Jesus as well as the Eucharist. He talks about the hierarchy of the church and the authority entrusted by God to the men in all of those roles. And then he also talks about the infallibility of the church. This is a letter that I I continue to go back to, and it's probably because it is a summary. I can get a lot when I just read the one letter. Now, those four letters that I've just spoken about, these were all written when Ignatius was being held in Smyrna. Now, he continues on his journey to Rome, and then he's held again in Troas. And there he writes three more letters, one to the Philadelphians, to the Smyrnaeans, and to the Bishop of Smyrna himself, who becomes St. Polycarp. Now, these letters, they didn't individually contribute to my quest to understand the church's supernatural existence and her purpose, like the previous four did, but they still resonated very deeply with me, and they still do. And so I'm just going to share a little something special from each one of those letters, just as more encouragement for you to read them yourself. Okay, so to the Philadelphians, his main focus here seemed to be on addressing schism. Now, schism is what happens when there's disunity and heresy. And then in the third paragraph of that letter, Ignatius stresses that the church is divinely established and it's a, like, it's a visible society and it has one purpose. And the purpose of the church is the salvation of souls. But when someone separates themselves from the church, they are separating themselves from God. But then, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. He follows it up and he basically gives a a remedy, which is unity. Go figure. And unity in the Eucharist particularly. He wrote, Take care then to have but one Eucharist, for there is one flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ and one cup to unite us with his blood, one altar, as there is one bishop along with the presbytery and deacons, my fellow servants. 
Now, in this letter and in the next one that he wrote to the church at Smyrna, St. Ignatius goes heavier on the Eucharist. And I remember having a little bit of a light bulb turn on for me um, regarding the Eucharist when reading his letters because it showed me for the first time, I actually got to see it and believe it myself, that the church and the Eucharist are inextricably connected. He wrote in his letter, he said, the celebration of the Eucharist is valid only if it is administered by the bishop or by one to whom he has entrusted it. Where the bishop is, there let the people also be. Just as where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. I'm going to say that last line again. Where the bishop is, there let the people also be. Just as where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Meaning, where Jesus Christ is, in the Blessed Sacrament, is present, there is the church. And not just any church, but the Catholic Church, mind you. This letter is actually the earliest documented use of the word Catholic Church to be used to describe the one true faith. So don't let any non-Catholic try to tell you that the term Catholic Church didn't exist until the fourth century with the Council of Nicaea. That's just not true. Now, the last letter that we're going to go over is St. Ignatius's letter to St. Polycarp, who is the Bishop of Smyrna. And with this letter, I don't even know where to begin. Like, it is such a beautiful letter. It is full of love and, like, just the hope of the gospel. I mean, St. Ignatius is on his way to be torn apart by wild beasts, and there's just so much love that just exudes from him and so much hope and joy. It's astounding. And he talks about so many different topics, too. He gives advice and encouragement to St. Polycarp about being a bishop. He talks about the supernatural vow of virginity, okay, like that that priests and religious take, okay? So some people will try to say that that didn't exist in the church until much later on. No, 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 very wrong. That existed since the beginning, and we have proof here. Also, he gives some very lovely comments on the religious character of marriage. And then I love this. He talks about, he he talks, he addresses the Christian faithful and he just gives us advice on how to be good Christians. And so I think that's what I'm going to leave you guys with today. He says, give heed to the bishop that God may also give heed to you. Labor together, strive together, run together, suffer together, rest together, and rise together. You are stewards in God's house, members of his household and his servants. Please him under whom you fight, from whom you receive your wages. Let none of you be found a deserter, right? So like, don't leave the faith. Um, Let your baptism be your armor, your faith be your helmet, your love be your spear. And I love that. It reminds me of Cupid and his bow and arrow. Um, He says, your patience as your complete panoply. And to summarize, to be long-suffering towards one another and gentle as God is with you. Now, isn't that wonderful advice for any faithful Catholic? And there is a lot more where that came from. If you take it upon yourself to read the actual letters written by St. Ignatius, like I said, they are short, but they pack a punch. They're easy to understand, especially if you click on the link that I provided you in the show notes. Learning about the early church, I believe, will bolster anyone's faith life, no matter where you are in in your journey with the Lord. And I believe that the best way to do that is to read the actual documents that came out of the early church. And why not start with St. Ignatius? Because he is 
such an important link between the apostles and the church fathers, right? And I've already given you the link, so I've just made it super easy for you. If you like this type of an episode and you want more topics like this, you have to let me know. And so you can contact me and tell me all about it on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Clumsy Theosis or on my website, which is clumsytheosis.net. And there are links to all of those things as well as everything else that I mentioned in this episode. Those are down in the show notes. Go down to the show notes. All right. Until next week, peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us.